Hi, my name is Pat Live and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, April 13, 2021. I've been talking to Canadian artists for almost a year, checking in to see how they're coping both personally and professionally. Yes, we've had some bright spots, but 2020 was basically a wash, changing the course of many lives, some permanently. As we all continue to manage our lives in this new reality, remaining hopeful there is an end in sight, we are now well into 2021, with no significant changes in the world of live performance on the horizon. Streaming is now becoming ever more popular, more sophisticated and creative, and ticket prices are creeping up but we're still stuck with the 2D version of a live show. Currently, in our third, more serious and deadly wave of the virus, even streaming in empty theaters is now cancelled, and Ontarians have been ordered to stay at home. I am continuing to speak to new artists in 2021, as well as publish the conversations that took place last year. I'm also circling back to some of the artists I've already spoken to, to catch up with them almost a year later. The big question is... Have things really changed in a year? Bassist Steve Pelche was born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, fondly referred to as the Hammer, and still resides in his hometown. Steve currently performs with Colin James, but his career has seen him perform and record with an eclectic and wide range of musical groups, including the Julian Taylor Band, Matt Anderson, Jeff Healy, Sass Jordan, Long John Baldry, Steve Lukather, Shooter Jennings, Sue Foley, Crystal Shawanda, Derek Rutten, The Lovelocks, and The Shuffle Demons. An intrinsic member of the Greater Toronto Area music scene, Steve has also made himself known on the international stage, performing with Joe Bonamassa on his Keeping the Blues Alive at Sea cruise, as well as Big Blues Bender and the Legendary Blues Cruise. Steve has also performed at two of Canada's renowned and celebrated halls, Massey Hall in Toronto, built in 1894, and the Orpheum in Vancouver, which opened in 1927. The Calgary Stampede, Montreal Jazz Fest, Havana International Jazz Fest, Kandahar Air Force Base, and CFS Alert at the North Pole have all been on Steve's performance itinerary. A co-collaborator with the Julian Taylor Band and Colin James, Steve has expanded his repertoire and is now producing in his home studio, working with emerging artists such as Adam Cook and Josh Pichet. In the summer of 2020, Steve launched his YouTube series called The Basement Sessions. The sessions are a collection of various musicians Steve has worked with in the past, a different one each week, and since he's worked with so many, tune in. You'll never know who the surprise guest is going to be. The Basement Sessions are all recorded live off the floor in his home studio and filmed by his partner, professional photographer Michelle Gare. A side note, Michelle is also busy with her own marketing management company, as well as keeping tabs on Steve. I am a Hamilton-raised, born-and-bred bass player. Uh, I work with people like Colin James, Julian Taylor Band, uh, Matt Anderson, and a list of other folks that you may or may not have heard of. Okay, and I'm sitting here with Michelle Gare as well, who may be adding to the conversation, I hope. Steve! Yes. All right. Um, where were you last year, and where did you think you would be this, at this time this year? Where was I last year? Uh, this time last year, I would have been juggling summer festivals with Colin, traveling quite a bit throughout the country, and uh, kind of anticipated that we'd be doing that again this year. Um when the uh, you know when the pandemic first hit, I was actually supposed to be out west recording with Colin because uh, he's working on a new album right now, and uh, that didn't happen. I was also supposed to be on a tour of Western Canada with a country artist named Darlene Olson for most of April. That obviously got cancelled with with everything that happened, and uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be on the road right now. <laughs> so what's your current situation now? What are you doing now? Current situation right now is uh, at home. Um, I've always maintained uh, a part-time position with Lauren McQuaid, 
musical instruments, and because of the pandemic and everything changed, that turned into a full-time job for me right now. So I'm working at uh, a music store in Brantford, Ontario, five days a week, and then doing a little bit of, trying to do a little bit of collaboration stuff on the side. I've still done some, uh, I've done some tracking for Colin in, in my home studio. Um, you know, we've just been sending files back and forth, and uh, I've done a couple other collaborations with uh, a couple of guys out west, and a few things here and there, and working on uh, working on voiceover work as well. So, uh, just doing whatever I can to sort of keep myself busy and keep my hands doing something musical. Are you well. writing? Um, not really writing as much per se. I mean, there's always ideas floating around my brain a little bit, but. Um, I've never been much of a writer. I, I, I'm one of those people that need other people to, to work with to, to actually write stuff. So, which that hasn't been happening because you know, not supposed to be getting together with people. So now things are letting up a little bit. It's actually right. it's a little easier. So, so you but the stuff you've been doing with Colin, you've been sort of collaborating over just sending files back and forth. It's sending files back and forth. It's like here's the song, you know, come up with the bass part, send it back. And then, you know, I might get notes back saying, hey, can you change this or anything like that. Or uh, actually, the, well, the f- first two tracks, I didn't get any notes back at all. So I don't know if they just edited the crap out of it or, or, <laughs> or if or it was great. Right. <laughs> it's one of the two. Do you do that often or, um, with sending files back and forth? Is, is this a frequent thing or is this just because... I don't do it as much as I'd like to be doing it. Okay. Um, but it is it is something that you know does come up from time to time. Yeah. Um, there's another local producer here in town named Amy King. She's actually one of the engineers at uh, Grant Avenue Studio, and uh, she she's had some stuff as well that she's always worked on, but it always got put on the back burner. For her at the at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like let's get these songs finished. So I had about a half dozen tracks for her that I did. Do you like collaborating online? I love doing stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's interesting because it's when somebody sends you a track to work on, you have it's almost a, you know they're trusting you with with their music to do what you do, which is nice because you sort of have a a bit of an artistic license. But at the same time, it's it's you know you send it off and you're like, oh man. I don't know, is it good? Is it good enough? I don't know. Is it, 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 there's, musicians are always riddled with crippling self-doubt, right? And, and that always... The, I'm finding and, that. And, yes. the, and that always does come out. So when you send it out, it's like, well, I really hope they like it. I really hope they like it. And, you know, the next 12 hours or so until you get a reply by email. It's a little intense because you're kind of wondering what's, you know, what's going on. What are they going to do? And when you hear the finished products and you actually get to hear... Your full contribution, you know, that hasn't been edited or screwed, you know, screwed around with. It's amazing to hear that. It's, it's a very rewarding kind of, very rewarding feeling to, to, to hear that back. Do you chart? Is, do I chart? Chart? Chart. Uh, like write charts? Yeah, curious. If, if I have to, um, I've always had this interesting thing where I've had this crazy ability to learn, just learn songs and memorize them. So when, uh, like, if I show up, you know, if I'm filling in on a gig for somebody or something like that, I will actually just learn the material to avoid using a chart on a stage. Um, charts on stage, they have a purpose for some people. Um, I would give a drummer a license to have a chart on stage because he's got lots of stuff to hide things behind. Um, so it's not as bad. And the drummer's, the drummer's driving the bus, so they got to know the form of the song, right? So, but, yeah, I, I do my best not to have charts on stage. How are you coping with all of this personally? It's been a lot of ups and downs. You know, there's days where you get calls, you know, we get to do a track, and that's, that's a great day. Or, you know, somebody wants to collaborate in their backyard or something like that. That's a great day. But the amount of time that goes by when you're not really doing anything musically. There's a thing that happens with musicians. There's there's a release that happens. Um, you know, some of it's endorphins, and some of it's just getting your rocks off. But when you step on a stage, and it doesn't really matter the size of the stage. 
can be a small room with 20 people in it, or it can be, you know, a giant outdoor festival with thousands. Getting on that stage and being able to play and perform, whatever it is you're performing, there's a release that happens. Sometimes it's just being able to work stuff out and just getting something off your chest, but and it, but being able to play and perform and be able to pour your heart and soul out, it's almost a therapy. And when you don't get to do that, you know, it's like telling a you know world class athlete, you know, like a world class marathon runner that they can't run anymore. You know, there's Good analogy. there's a. Uh, you know, there's a routine that happens, and it's like you're. you're I mean, everyone in this situation has had their daily routine disrupted, but part of the musician's daily routine is being able to perform and being able to release that energy and get that out. Um, not being able to do that has, you know, has some effects. Um, you know, I've had some things from my past that have sort of come out of the woodwork that I'm, I've realized that I never really dealt with mm-hmm. um, that I'm starting to deal with now. You know, um, for case in point, an example, uh, last year my sister passed and I got the news of her passing four days before I was flying out west to start rehearsals for oh. for Colin James tour. Um being able to perform and play and being around my bandmates, you know, uh, and that's the other thing too, I mean, being around your bandmates, I mean, that's that's another family, you know, those guys really got me through those two and a half months on the road with Colin, because that was, that was my way of, you know, just working stuff out. That was your therapy. That was my therapy, um, you know, and that was, that was that, um, never would have been able to get through it with, uh, you know, if I didn't have those guys and that support. I would have been able to get through it if I was at home because I would have had my own family, um, you know, but having to be removed from the situation, you know, that was my, that was my coping with, with, with And to be on all the time and on stage. Exactly. You know, you know, I had my moments, I, you know, I I had some good cries on the road, you know, that was tough to deal with, but it was, uh, you know, if I didn't have those guys with me, you know, Chris Cadell, Steve Mariner, Jesse O'Brien, Tim Blunt, uh, Kurt Moss, Tobias Calden. If I didn't have those guys, you know, I would have been in a very different situation. You know, and I probably wouldn't have been quite as good. So. So what do you do with all that energy now? Well, it's taken a bit to figure out what to do with it, but. Um, uh, I started. I started playing drums more. Oh, I have competition now, do I? <laughs> yeah, you got competition. I have my layers perfect. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've always drums has always been something that's sort of been a back burner passion for me, um, and I've always I've always played. I've never really advertised that I've played, but it's been something that I've been doing a little bit more, and it's great. It's okay, great. Now everybody knows. Yeah, no, now everybody knows. <laughs> Internet, don't tell anybody. Don't tell. Um, it's great therapy because you're hitting something, which is, you know, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, you know, it's like hitting, it's, it's like a boxer using a, one of those, you know, things that you hang from the ceiling. What the hell do you call that? A punching bag. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Can't even think today. Um, but yeah, I know it's, it's good therapy and, you know, I've taken that and it's sort of branched into working on home studio stuff. I have this home studio in the basement that I've been using for bass tracks. I have enough of a studio that I can record drums as well. So I've actually done some uh, drum things for a couple of people. And as of late, much like you're starting this podcast, um, I have a project. It's a passion project that I'm working on right now where I'm bringing in people that I've played with over the years and people that I've, you know, that I really love as musicians and I have a lot of respect for, um, bringing them in to the space and recording them live off the floor. Michelle's been taking video, uh, and soon enough, probably the next couple of weeks, I'll probably have a couple of artists up on YouTube. Um, and what my plan with that is is setting up PayPal accounts for each video clip. So 
people can make contributions to other artists that I'm, you know, that are that are coming in, and then I guess you know, I guess it all split up between the musicians that are on that session. Wow. So it's it's a bit of an undergoing, uh, and it's at the very beginning stages of that right now. But uh, as is this podcast. Yeah, but you know, uh, I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks something will be on you on YouTube with that. The first the first guy I had in was uh, another uh, Hamilton artist named Jamie Oakes, mm-hmm. uh, just all around, just a beautiful musician. This has been an outlet for him to come over and just be able to play, and it's that same thing. It's that you know, at the end of the night after playing, you just you feel like you just got off, and it was great, yeah. you know. So we had um, so Jamie came over, and we had uh, David Dorenzo come and play drums as well. So the three of us hung out in the basement and had a lot of laughs. And for me, that was the that was that's the first musical interaction that I've had, you know, during this whole pandemic, where I've been playing bass and I've had a drummer next to me and I've had a guitar next to me, you know, a guitar player next to me, and just it was just so good. It was just so so good. We're going to start off with the first musical break with one of Steve's favorites, Say It Isn't So by Daryl Hall. Welcome to your first taste of the Basement Sessions. According to Steve, we figured since we've been called live from Daryl's house light, we jump into the Wayback Machine to 1983. I called up my pals from Jarvis Church's Soul Station, minus a few of the singers. This session features Lester McLean on vocals, Peter Cater on keyboards, Don Pham on drums, Will Heaves on guitar, and me, Steve Pelche, on bass and production.
Welcome back to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Say It Isn't So, part of the series of performances from the basement sessions. You're listening to a conversation I had with Steve Palche in July 2020. The sale of online instruments has gone through the roof. Yes. You can't buy it. The other, the other toss of the coin is, is that musicians are now looking at I learned the flute 20 years ago. I think I'll pull it out of the back of the closet or the guitar has been sitting in the corner and it's looking a little dusty and maybe I'll... And a bass player learning how to play the drums. So the first part of the question is, do you think there might be a new renaissance in music coming down the pipe maybe in the next year or two? And the second part is, is when if if your main instrument is drums or bass and you start to learn another instrument... Does your approach to your main instrument change? Or if you're writing, or is there a different feeling? So, sort of a different, or I don't know if it's a better understanding, but a different understanding? Yeah. So I, I started playing drums probably about three years after I started playing bass. Ah, so you've been doing drums for a while. I've been doing it for a while. Um, and, yeah, so I'm 46 now. Started playing bass when I was 30, 30, 38, so no. I was 16 when I started, and I'm. Anyways, um, and I I looked at that as, you know, I I had this sort of early on thinking that, you know, a bass player, bass players, and, you know, you're absolutely right, bass player and drummer, it's got to be. They lock into each other. It's got to be that. So my whole thinking was if I can understand the drummer better, then that should help me be a better bass player. Okay. That was that was my thinking, and you know, I, more bass players should should understand drums more. It, it, and it's just there's a relation that happens, and it's when you can when you can lock in with a drummer, yeah. and just immediately have that lock in that pocket. Uh, it makes everybody else's job easier, right? And it just makes it makes the song better, it makes the performance better, it makes the energy better. And there's no push and pull, you know. It's just, it's just, it's the most comfortable bed for the rest of the band to lay on, and that's good a good. Way to put it. And that's a good rhythm section, you know. Yeah. A good rhythm section should do that. As far as the Renaissance thing, that's interesting because I think there's a lot of things that have to happen for people to want to appreciate music again. There's so much content right now being floated around on Facebook, YouTube. Instagram, whatever. Overwhelming content. There's an overwhelming amount. And it's, I'm going to sound like an elitist prick here for a minute, but there are so many people who, let's let's call them weekend warriors. If you're offended by that, weekend warriors, I'm sorry. Um, But, you know, say the doctor's a lawyer, so, you know, play guitar, and, you know, they just do it on weekends for beer money or something like that because they want to go and have a good time. That's awesome. I love that. But, those guys may be sometimes, you know, a lower level quality of what you would go and see at a bar, or what you would go pay admission to go see at Lee's Palace, yeah. or the Horseshoe, or, or or something like that, or here in town at the Casbah. Um, it's a different caliber of musician. So that caliber uh, caliber of musician that you would go and pay for is now on the same even playing field as that weekend warrior that's, you know, just getting hammered and playing songs for his buddies. Um, so there's so much content right now. You know, like everything else, you don't have to leave your house to get a damn thing anymore. You know, you can order whatever, anything you want off of Amazon. You can stream whatever you want off of Spotify. You can catch your favorite uh, artist's, you know, Facebook Live thing. There's, you know, it's just so much content happening right now that it's not necessarily a race to the bottom, but it is kind of, people aren't starving and they're not craving that live performance aspect. I think once it starts happening, people will, you know, sort of realize and go, oh my God, I've missed this. This is so good. Um... That yes, that could trigger a renaissance, but I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. I think we'll see that probably in in the next maybe year and a half or so. Um, I think you will see a lot of musicians spreading out and trying different things, you know, to see what sticks. Because maybe in this pandemic they've you know taken up flute again and that's their passion. So maybe you know we're going to have a bunch of Jethro Dolls or something. 
uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 interesting, and it's you know one of the things that you know the emotional side of having to do with this pandemic is that is that question: Is it coming back? Will it come back? What's it going to look like when it comes back? Because there's you know as humans we like to have answers. You know, and we like to have answers in a, in a reasonable time frame. And we like to plan. Too. And we like to be able to plan, exactly. So, not having those answers, not being able to make those plans, it's like, I mean, how do you plan for what's going to come? I mean, I would love to be able to, I would love to see a music renaissance again. I would love to see that because it would stop all the live venues from closing. Um, you know, people need to embrace and appreciate live music um, once it's allowed to be live music again. But the problem is, is there's so many places that are closing right now because of the pandemic. And, like, you know, we just heard and, uh, the announcement about the order room in Toronto, which is, I mean, it's, it's hit both of us. Personally, I mean, we met at the order room. Um, you know, I started playing at the order room in my late 20s with the Dave Murphy Band. And, you know, I've, my, one of my last gigs was at the Orbit Room in January. So I've been playing at that room for, you know, 20 some odd years. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. That was another home away from home. And again, there was that whole family aspect. So with that being gone, it's tough. Because you have so much being taken away. And it's and it's hard it's hard to be positive and look at the future and see what that's going to be because there's been so much darkness and so much negativity right now, you know, not just in what's happening in the music industry but what's happening in the world, you know, the live music aspect will always be that will always be king, that will always be the the sort of shock and awe of somebody going to a concert and seeing that seeing that light show. Uh, you know, feeling that bottom end, that's a sensation that you can never replace. So that's a, that's, that's a thing that's always going to happen. So that, that feeling of being at a live concert, you'll never be able to replace that. Um, will that go away? Will it come back? I think these are all very, very good questions. I like to be optimistic and say that yes, it will, but it's one of those things where it's, I think it's a, it's a timing. It will come back in time, it's, but it's, it's just one of the. It, we just got to be patient. Live performance is the key to the development of artists, and I think that case goes. So, yeah. what do you see? I mean, there's a lot of artists that have just sort of been that have not had the opportunity to tour, yeah. to play a lot of live gigs. If any, maybe they were just coming out of the gate. What do you think the music scene is going to look like for them going forward? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I think, you know, when things open up, I think we're going to see a lot of scaled-back performances. There's been some rumors that I've heard, um, you know, Live Nation is apparently cutting back the guarantees by quite a bit for for touring artists and for live performances, mm-hmm. and understandably so. So I think that's going to change the dynamic as to what you actually get to see. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people on stage, like, you know, doing uh, like a Matt Anderson show where he's, he's him and a guitar. That, I think that's going to be the beginning of it. You know, what that holds in store for regular musicians, I don't know. Me as a side guy, I, as a side man, I expect to be the one of the last people back to work. You know, because when you're playing bass, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's a band instrument. That's not really a duo thing, right? So... It is anyway. one of those things, though. It's it's an added luxury, you know, to have yeah. that second musician on stage. We'll work on that. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I know this. Is, <laughs> we all digress, but anyways. Twenty twenty. Bottom line: Is it going to be a career killer? Hang in there. We'll be back after some music for Steve's answer. Another one of his favorites is also from the Basement Sessions. Look over yonder wall by Freddie King. Part of the Colin James Band. The lineup for this session includes Steve Mariner on guitar. Craig Lapsley on drums, Jesse O'Brien on keys, Chris Cadell on guitar and vocals, and Steve on bass. Colin, as well as the sax player and the drummer, live in Vancouver, so unfortunately couldn't be here for the session. These guys are some of my closest friends. Jesse and Chris are two of the longest musical collaborations I've had. 
Jesse and I began playing together when I was in my early 20s, and Chris and I started working together roughly 15 years ago.
Welcome back to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Look Over Yonder Wall, part of the series of performances from the Basement Sessions. You're listening to a conversation I had with Steve Pelche in July 2020. 2020, bottom line, is it going to be a career filler for some musicians? For some musicians, absolutely. Well-established, you think it's going to affect the well-established worse? Or are they going to handle it better? Or... Um, the, the ones that are just sort of not as well-established don't have the following? I think the artists that have, uh, you know, a well-established career are going to be okay. Um, you know, there's certain, you know, there's artists in the Canadian music industry that you, you can't touch, like the Brian Adams of the world, you know, like, they're going to be fine. Yeah. They're always going to be fine. Um, the artists that I think are, you know, just coming out of the gate this year, you know, new projects and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a lot of that that sort of whittles down. Um, but it's interesting because, I mean, there's different aspects of what is keeping a band alive these days because of the pandemic. We you know we obviously we can't get together and play, but there's different... People are home, people are bored, people are using Spotify and Shazam and... You know, Apple Music in different ways, they're finding different artists. So, in one way, I could easily see how, you know, like a, like a new struggling artist is probably just going to fall off the map. But at the same time, uh, I'll use this as a case in point with Julian Taylor Band. We just had uh, a run of one of our singles got picked up, and we started noticing these shoes and hits in the UK. And we started noticing there was more Spotify hits coming out of the UK. That's just a little bit. And yeah, for just for just a little bit. And it's an awesome song. It's one of my favorite songs off of that album. And uh, it turned into us being in regular rotation on BBC Two for the past month. So here's this little band from Canada. <laughs> the baseline alone of that is killer. Thank you. But here we are. I mean, here's this like surprise out of nowhere. Like we never anticipated that. We had no idea that that song was going to end up over in the UK. Um, and it's being it's getting wicked hits in Australia as well. So that that song's actually done some interesting things for us. So seeing it sort of progress and end up over over you know over the across the pond, it's kind of who knows. One of the aspects, too, is as to what, you know, we're talking about, like what, you know, during the pandemic, what is happening to musicians. There are musicians that will hang up, and they will hang it up because they're just too dark and they're too tired and they can't pull themselves out of it. There are circumstances like this with the Julian Taylor Band where this has probably done some really great things for, for that band's career, um, but we can't act on it. It's not, it's not like we can support that and go tour because A, cost, B, you can't get over there. So how, so, does, how do you keep yourself relevant? Well, that's just it. Now, you know, and and, that, and that, that's a huge thing as a musician and as part of a, a few different projects is there is that fear of still being relevant at the end of this when it all opens up. Um, you know, and, you know, as, as being a musician, it's like what my, what my contributions could be to an artist or another artist, or just even, you know, like regular gigging stuff. It's, you know, picking up a job and gig. Am I still going to be relevant at the end of all this? That That is a question uh, that everyone has to ask, and it is, and, it's, and that's, a, that's a fear that I think that everybody has as well. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate with my career that I've worked with some really great artists and I've worked with some really wonderful people um, and I've achieved quite a lot I think in you know my, my time in the music business but even with that I still have that fear of am I am I still going to be the first call for so and so am I still going to be uh, able to perform and able to tour at the end of all this are people still going to want me you know, it's there's there's a fear of that. You know, and and, it's, and I always think of uh, artists in general. I always find them to be very creative and very flexible, very adaptable. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You think that do you think they still are? Are, are artists 
a bit more of a creative or flexible? And yeah. Or? The smart ones are. Okay. The smart ones very much are. Um, I'll use uh, Sue Foley as an example. Uh, Sue is an exceptional blues guitar player that I've, I've had the, the pleasure of working with. You know, her and her uh, partner, who's B3 player for Jimmy Vaughn, they got bored. So they set up a, th- uh, a set, and they've been hosting, uh, what, what's it, it's the Wednesday Night Blues, Texas Blues Texas Party. Texas Blues Party, they did that for five or six episodes. Yeah. And you know what? They ended up selling merch from that. Records, t-shirts, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's, it's a way of, A, staying relevant, B, making some money, uh, C, keeping her fan base, growing her fan base, you know, so I think the, the smart ones are coming out with ways of still being out there. Do you think now is a good time to start planning to a certain extent to say, okay, when this is over, this is what I'm going to be doing when the gate is opened, sort of in preparation for... I mean, you've been doing some stuff in your in your in your home studio. Yeah, that's a tough one to answer. Now is definitely the time to, you know, hone your craft and hone your instrument. And you know, you've got this, all this spare time that you you've been wanting to have for so long. Like, I haven't had time to sit down and practice since I went to school for music. And I was, you know, I had a guitar in my hands, probably eight to ten hours a day, you know, and that was, that was amazing, but that was part of my schooling, that was part of the program, part of the deal was to be able to play that amount in a day, because you need that much time to really apply yourself, it's like anything else, you've got to put the time in, figure it out, with a band, an indie band, just, you know, throwing it out there into the wind, saying, okay, let's go, we're going to tour Ontario, and not knowing what you're doing. You're going to fail miserably. So that band, taking the time right now to figure everything out, is smart. And that's what more, I hope more people are doing that. Because, uh, you know, and having done the, the 401 tour, God knows how many times, with, with you know, different, different artists and stuff like that, different acts, um, the more planning and that you can do, the more organized that you can be, it just makes it better for everybody else. Because everybody knows what's going on. So, if you can hone your craft and figure out the business aspect of things, um, you know, this is a good time for everybody to get their shit together, you know, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yep. It is, a, it is a great time. And, you know, to a certain extent, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, you know, I'm working on different things. I'm working on my engineering skills. I'm working on, you know, doing voiceover work. And these are things that, you know, are going to keep me going in the music business for a while, because, I mean, it's, it's practicality, and this is, you know, I'm looking at this as, you know, a way of being relevant in the scene, and a way of being able to deliver a different product that people are going to want to have. And you sound like you're doing some producing as well. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, local artist Josh Pichet in Toronto. So there is a little bit of planning in there. A little bit. Of, a little bit of planning. I think until we know what street will be, and... And just like anything, you look at hospitality, you yeah. have mom and pop restaurants and you have chains and the yeah. model going forward looks totally different for those. And they're going to prepare differently. It's the same as a small band starting out or a yeah. small bar band. And then someone like Colin James or like anyone that's larger, that's touring big theaters, festivals, that's a whole different model. And there's so many unknowns as to what that will roll out yeah. like. We don't know. I mean, I work with Sue Foley, and we, we have certain things on the book, small, medium, big. We don't know right now. We don't know when it will happen. I mean, it's projected dates. But who knows what that structure will look like. Yeah. So you're coming up with plans, but I think a lot of artists are enjoying learning new skills or sitting down in songwriting or enjoying not being in an airport every day yeah. and enjoying the summer <laughs> at home. I'll be honest with you, as weird as it sounds, I really miss that. The one thing that I love about what I do is the amount of traveling and just getting on a plane and, you know, waking up in a different part of the country. It's, 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 oh my God, I miss it so much. So what do you think it's going to take to get people back into 
the larger venues to hear live music again? I think it's going to take uh, a vaccine. I think it's going to take people... I mean, people want to get out, obviously. I mean, that, that's happening. We're seeing that happening. You know, I think it's, I think it's going to take a vaccine before people are comfortable enough to go out and, and do that, you know, and be in you know, a crowded concert hall again. That's a crapshoot. Like, yeah. as, much as, as much as people are dying to go out and see a concert, like, yeah. I mean, the drive-in concert thing, I think, is a great idea, yeah. but it's, it's a Band-Aid. All yeah. it is is a Band-Aid. There is still that, you know, that burning question as to, okay, so when do we get to do this? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're chomping at the bit. Yeah, you know, we're sort of chomping at the bit. And it's like, okay, I can get a haircut now. Awesome. Uh, you know, when can I light fire to a stage again? You know, and that's that's going to be one. Encouraging collaboration on two different levels. Do you think that this is encouraging more collaboration among musicians insofar as the playing and writing? I think so. There's the other collaboration among artists to band together there's a because there's there's been some friction in the music community for a number of years yeah. and especially between the music community and the club owners yeah um, is this a good opportunity for people to start working together and have each other's back and you know sort of not, I'm not saying form a coalition but be supportive of each other when they're out playing and collaborating with the venue owners mm-hmm. is this a better opportunity now because we're losing so many clubs, too, yeah. for everybody to start working together. So let's let's. That's a two-parter, I know. It is. Yeah. Um, and this is really what I like to refer to as the race to the bottom. Okay. Okay. So, and this goes back to what I was uh, what I mentioned about the amount of people doing live streams right. and stuff like that. There's there's so much content out there. Uh, and there's so much content out there that they're just giving away. You know, those weekend warriors, sorry guys, really honest, that will go into a, a that will go into a bar and say, "Hey, I'm got a four piece band. I'll we'll come in for two hundred bucks. Uh, so you know, everybody gets fifty bucks each and like a couple of drinks, and that's going to be awesome." Bar owner who is taking in, let's say eight, nine grand bar sales a night is going to see that and go, crap, these guys are going to come in for 200 bucks, only 200 bucks. That's all i got to pay them. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take that because they're saving money. Mm-hmm. The average wage of a bar musician has not changed since 1970. This I recognize and I know. This, I mean, if you want to go back and sort of analyze and figure out where the problem is, it's the ineffectiveness of the of the musicians' union. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a member of the musicians' union, but only because I travel in the states and I need a work visa. Um, mm-hmm. As far as what the union does for the local musician, it's bullshit. It is absolute bullshit, and I have no problems that, with that going live and on air and across the country um, because they never step in and say you know, hey bar owners you need to be paying your musicians this much um, there is no scale rate for a bar performance or if there is, I think it's still sitting at like 65 bucks which is asinine because for the amount of money that some venues are making on a night, you know and it's, and it's one of those things. You There is the odd exception where you do have a bar owner that fully recognizes the importance of a good band and will pay a little extra because they know that that good band is going to put bums in seats mm-hmm. and it's going to put and it's going to put good bums in seats. So there's a difference between what you're going to attract with a two hundred dollar band versus a five hundred dollar band. Right. It's a quality of clientele that are going to get, that are going to come in. Um, bar owners, and I'm sort of generalized, guys, but there's a lot of bar owners that don't see that value in in that. They're looking at their bottom line. They're looking at the numbers. What can I save money on? I'll just put a duo in for hundred bucks. Boom, done, soft. I got a lot of entertainment now. Ah, 
you do, you got shit live entertainment. And you're ripping off your customers because you're putting some jackass on a stage who can barely hold a guitar or carry a tune in a bucket for the whole night. Good on you. And I'm sorry if that sounds really harsh, nope. but it, it is kind of harsh. And the, and that's what's happening. But it's, no, it's a reality. So this, like, long before the pandemic, that is what's been happening. And there has to be, is this a time for musicians and bar owners to get along? There has never been a time for them not to get along. Um, and this is something that, you know, has needed to be worked on for a very, 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 very long time. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing venues start to close. So it is, it's, it's creating a double-edged sword where I think there's less places for musicians to go to. So musicians, I think, are going to be a little bit more competitive about wanting to get out because they're chomping at the bit and they want to play. So to go out and do a cover gig for 50 bucks or something like that, yeah, they'll go do it because, yeah, 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 I just want to go out and play. It's an important thing, I think, for all, all of us to realize that, you know, you can only give away so much of yourself and your product before it's worthless. So do you think that the pandemic has um, heightened the awareness of music, musicians, the arts in general, but I'm going sports fan, at, with a little bit, maybe a little bit more respect for what they do. <sighs> yeah. That's a tough one. That is a very tough one. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think I think right now, because everything is so accessible, I think you know. I think people are more missing the social aspect of being out and hearing live music rather than the live music part of it. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong on that because, you know, people need to miss live music to appreciate the live music. You know, Michelle, I know, misses live music. And we have some other friends who are avid concert goers that really miss it and miss being able to just go to a bar and see a band. Um, you know, so that is creating a little bit more awareness of, you know, what a musician is and what a musician does. A lot of those people already knew that to begin with. You know, because, uh, you know, I find a lot of people that are very much into supporting live music and being in, involved in the arts do have a better understanding of, you know, what a musician does right. and what their struggles are on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, you know, you have a, a little bit more of a finger on the pulse that way. The aspect of being able to have everything accessible I think it, it's it's a, it's a placebo. I think right now, um, you know, people are I think are getting their fix from not being able to go to a concert, from you know, looking at Quello concerts on TV or uh, Amazon Prime. You know, their live concert selection is is quite awesome. Um, it makes me want to be there, though. It makes you want to be there, and it's you know, and it's you know, it's creating that that thirst. You know that is only really quenched by being at a concert. But there's certain people that are like, okay, uh, well that's cool, but uh, I'm good. For, I'm good with that. You know. Um, so I don't know. I, I think in in some ways, yes. I think in some ways, no. Okay. Yeah, I haven't answered your question. <laughs> what have you learned from all of this? What have I learned from all of this? Okay, sure. <laughs> oh, God. But, but yeah, I know. I mean, what, what, what's one thing that you've learned from all of this? One thing. One thing. I've okay, well, maybe we'll make it a list of two or three. Oh, my God. Yeah, but. There's one thing. What well, one thing that really stands out for you that you I, learned from all of this? Um, I think if there's. So this is a general broad stroke. This is a. Oh, okay, but, for you, yes. The one thing that, I, that, I, that I think I've learned from all of this is that if you really apply yourself and dig in, you can do whatever the hell you want. That's a really good answer. Um, you know, I've I've taken a stab at plumbing, you know, doing home renovations, which has been really good. Uh, You're about to take another stab. I'm about to take another stab at it. <laughs> plumbing. Um, you know, I've done some things creatively that I probably would wouldn't do. Or, the, you know, that I probably wouldn't have thought of doing. Um, there's been, yeah, I mean, it's like anything else, really, if you want to do it, it's not going to happen on its own. 
you have to do it. Right. You know, and that's been on really on all levels, like being a musician, being a dad, uh, you know, being a good partner, being a good housemate, you know, being and all of that stuff. It's it's really one of it's just sort of that. I mean, you know, like nothing really comes on its own. Sometimes you have to make things happen. And in order to do that, you have to get off your ass and do it. Two positives to come out of all this. One personally, mm-hmm. and one personally. Two positives to come out of this. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, the positive thing is that I think on a personal level, uh, relationship-wise, there's been some gains as far as uh, you know, how I feel with my daughter. Um, my daughter's only with me for half the week, so that, you know, those three, four days that I have, pretty valuable. On a musical level, I don't know. I think I've broadened my horizons as far as listening habits. Um, you know, I've definitely had a more open mind as to what I'm going to listen to and what I'm going to dive into. Um, I would like to say that my playing's gotten better, but it probably hasn't. It's probably about the same. Um, if anything, I, you know, I do feel like I've got some cobwebs to dust off. Yeah, I don't know. It's just the time home has been great. Like you know, I've said it a couple of times. There's been a reset button. Yeah. Some of the aches and pains from playing four or five nights a week are gone, which is really nice. You know, I'm not having wrist problems. I'm not having shoulder problems. I'm not having lower back issues. Um, you know, from holding a bass guitar for so long, it's that's nice. I don't miss that. So this is the final question. Okay. Uh, everybody has a favorite band. Yep. Or artist, whatever. Yep. Who would be the one artist that you would either want to open for and/or share the stage with? Preferably living, since. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Preferably living. Preferably living, because we're gonna we're thinking of this when all of this pandemic stuff is over. One artist. One artist. Oh or band. God. One artist. I'm probably going to take a lot of heat for this, <laughs> but if I had to pick somebody right now, just sort of off the top of my head, I would have to say John Mayer. Okay. Why would you take heat from it? Uh, maybe we'll name Nameless Chris Cadell. Um, <laughs> absolutely fucking hate John Mayer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's, uh, it's interesting. John Mayer is an artist, is, is somebody that's come up in conversations with me a bunch of times. And it was funny, I was talking, we were talking to somebody last night about John Mayer, where I have a lot of respect for him as a musician, mm-hmm. because this is, I think he's a great guitar player. Yeah, he is. Um, always has killer tones, delivery is pretty awesome. He, as, as a career, he came out of the gates hard with the big pop tunes. And then said, fuck it, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Came up with a trio album. And, you know, unfortunately he had to listen to the label basically saying, listen, you're alienating the young girls that really like the pop tunes. Can we get back to that, please? Um, and to a degree, has still kept that sort of, that trio thing. Uh, you know, interestingly, like he's using Steve Jordan as a producer quite a bit now. Pino Palladino's usually on his recordings. Pino was a huge influence on, on the way I play and the way I approach the instrument. Um, he's uh, definitely somebody that I, you know, take a lot of notes from. Uh, yeah, and just, I mean, Mayor, as, as an artist, I think I think it would probably be a lot of fun to hang out with, too. It's pretty funny, too. That's it. You've just listened to an interview I had with bassist Steve Pelche in July 2020. Check out Steve's passion project, The Basement Sessions, for some incredible music. Many thanks to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the theme music for the show. And to those of you who tuned in, thank you for taking the time to listen, inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. If you'd like to continue listening to what these musicians have to say, follow me on Podbean or any one of the platforms you're using and you'll be notified automatically when the next conversation is published. I am Pat Blythe, and you're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.